And so this morning, this morning we're going to be in First Peter. But before we do, um, I just want to share something. I want to share something with you guys. Um, and um, I'll tell you right now, this is making me already massively uncomfortable. So I'm just going to take a deep breath. I'm going to calm my nerves. Um, <clears throat> all right. So. Um, It was a few years ago now. It was actually two years ago now. Um, just trying to think of where I should start. I wrote, I wrote something down here. <laughs> and I'm going to, I should stick to that. So those of you who know me um, know that I dream a lot. Uh, my experience um, with dreaming has been that every single night for as long as I can remember, the moment my head hits the pillow, within three to five minutes, I am usually asleep and into a dream. Um, I know that's not everyone's experience. Um, you know, my wife, <laughs> my, my wife, when, when we uh, first got married and we talked about this and all this stuff, she said, you know, she doesn't really dream anymore or she doesn't really dream. And, and I was like, man, I, I feel like I, the moment I go to sleep, I dream all night till the moment I wake up. And, um, and around uh, sort of 2018, 2019, I started to try and record those dreams. I, I had found out that, you know, turns out God can speak through dreams and give us information and lead us and guide us through our dreams. And um, I've even experienced healing and deliverance through dreams before. Um, <clears throat> and so I'd started paying attention to my dreams to see what God might be speaking there, what things he might be revealing when my defenses are finally down and I have slowed down enough from my day to finally listen to him. And so, it was at the end of 2019, start of 2020, I had a series of dreams. Um, I had a series of dreams. Um, and all of these dreams had very consistent themes in them. And if you were around this church at the start of 2020, you may remember me talking about these dreams. <clears throat> so I had these, had these dreams. Um, I went back through, um, I went back through my, my log of dreams, and I believe I recorded six dreams. But... As I was writing this last night, I, I think that there was probably more, because I could remember more, um, that I couldn't find actually recorded, but at least had six dreams. And in the six of these dreams, the common themes were this. <clears throat> I was with a lot of church people, and by church people, I don't mean just general Christians. They felt like this was, they were church family, like it was, it was people who were in our church, my church, my church family. <clears throat> and two... There was a lot of water involved. <clears throat> um, in each of the, in, and one of the consistent themes of the involvement of this water was that this water was rising, this water was coming up, and this water was moving. <clears throat> and in several of the dreams, I'm trying to tell people that the water is rising. I'm trying to tell people that the water is coming up. And, um, and so I remember, I think that I had the last dream on the 12th of January in 2020, and I remember I woke up from that dream, and, and because I'm so hesitant to say, well, God has spoken to me, God has said this, you know, um, I'd been deliberating and, and processing these dreams, <clears throat> and from what I could kind of gather from these dreams, God was, was showing me, was showing us that, that he had planned to send a move of his spirit here to our church for our people. Um, <clears throat> as represented by the flow of water. Um, and so I'd shared that, and that was a, a massive step of faith for me as well. Now, what I didn't share 
was another experience that I had had. Um, and the experience was, was um, I was in bed one night and, and Anna had shared with me a couple scriptures she found in Isaiah. And I'm going to read them to you now. <clears throat> and, um, and in Isaiah 43, uh, verses 18 and 19, it says, Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now, it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. There was another passage in the next chapter over. Um, it said, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. It's Isaiah 44, verse 3. Now, <clears throat> this experience that I had was not the exegesis of these verses. Like, this is like what I'm about to tell you is like, <clears throat> this was not the ex this is not the meaning of these verses. But when I had read these verses, I had this very weird, very strong sense or impression or knowing or however you want to categorize it that <clears throat> this coming of the move this move of the holy spirit would be marked by a physical flood in the natural space and um and of course i didn't tell anybody well no i told my wife i told tianis um when it started raining really heavily at the start of 2020 i told our then operations manager that we needed to come up with a flood plan um, <clears throat> but I didn't really tell anybody else because, you know, who wants to be that guy who's calling out floods? And, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm not Noah, um, even though Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he also experienced a once in a hundred year flood. Um, <clears throat> but why, why am I sharing this? Why am I sharing this now? Um, well, for one, uh, we've now had a flood. Two, in a number of these dreams, there was people that were featured in those dreams that were awed to the dreams. In one of the dreams, <clears throat> uh, in, in, one, in one of the dreams, um, uh, in one of the dreams, one of the people that featured was actually Philippe. Now, for those of you who are around now, you understand Philippe was our operations manager. When I had those dreams, Philippe wasn't even at our church. Philippe was actually at... He was actually pastoring another church down the Gold Coast at the time. And yet in this dream, he was in the house with us. That's one, that's one of the fulfillments of the, I, I feel is a significant marker of the dream. In another dream, <clears throat> with all the church people, there was someone who was a relative of mine in that dream. I have not spoken to that person in like a decade. About a month ago, I spoke to them on the phone for the first time in about a decade. <clears throat> in another one of the dreams, when the water is rising, it's coming up through the floor and it's coming through the ceiling. We had a leak over here. Um, <clears throat> but in another one of those dreams, it was a friend of mine who's not a Christian, and he was watching on. And, um, and you know, he, he doesn't go to church and all sort of stuff. He knows I'm a Christian. He knows I'm a pastor. He knows where we're at. And last Thursday, last Thursday, when I was out in the yard and we were trying to start tidying up, he was driving past and saw me, and he came in to the building for the first time. Now, all that circumstantial evidence, you're never going to be able to prove that in a court of law, though that's <laughs> absolutely the fulfillment of those dreams, but it leads me to believe, leads me to believe that God is given this, this flood as a prophetic marker 
of what he is about to do in our midst. I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm just, <laughs> I'm incredibly nervous even saying this right now. But I believe God has given us this flood as a prophetic marker of what he's about to do in our midst. And so, somebody asked me yesterday, <laughs> you know, they came to me really concerned, you know, how are you, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing with all this flooding? And, um, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really good. I'm really good. I mean, despite all the work and despite, you know, how hard it's been, and, and I'm also in my 30s, and so, um, <clears throat> hey, hey, you older people don't know what it's like, all right? <laughs> and so, <clears throat> the reason why I'm telling you this is because I want us, I want to I want there to be an impartation of expectation and an impartation of excitement and hope for what God is doing. There's been a lot of prophetic words that have been spoken over our church. A number of them have already come to pass. Some of them we're still waiting on. I think this is one of them. And so I'm not going to give you a date for when the Holy Spirit's going to come in like a rushing wind or anything like that, or if he's even going to come in that manner at all. But I have this great hope and this great expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to move in our midst. And I want you to have that great hope and expectation as well. And so I'm going to pray. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pray for us now um, uh, that you would also <laughs> receive that same hope and expectation. And then we'll jump into... First Peter, um, where I am far more comfortable. Um, <laughs> and so, Lord, <clears throat> Lord, I pray and I ask that you would give us now a great hope and expectation for this move that you have planned for us as a church. I pray that it wouldn't come from a place of pride or boastfulness but a confident assurance of the good plans that you have for us. I pray, Lord, that you would impart even now to those who are struggling with skepticism, struggling with doubt, struggling perhaps with cynicism. Lord, you would impart to them hope and expectation and joy as well at what you are about to do. We thank you, Lord, that you love your people. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help us to continually listen to your voice. And Jesus, we pray all of these things in your mighty, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, First Peter. Um, so we are working our way through First Peter as a, as a church family. And we've called uh, our series in, in First Peter, God's Family in Exile. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read, I'm going to read our passage that we're going to be going through this morning, and then I'm going to do a quick recap, and then we're going to jump into it. So we're in First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be reading from verse 13 down to verse 25, and I'll be reading from the CSB translation. So if you've got a different translation, yours might be a little bit different here and there. That's perfectly okay. <clears throat> it's still the Word of God. And um, so let's begin. So 
Peter says this. He says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not from, with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Though you believe in God who raised, through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. And so, we're just going to have a quick recap of where we're up to in the story so far. So, who is Peter speaking to? Who is he writing to? Because he's not writing directly to you. He's writing to a specific people, and we get to listen in on their conversation. We get to hear his advice to a particular people in a particular time, in a particular circumstance. So Peter's writing to Christians who are kind of spread abroad uh, throughout the empire, and they are suffering persecution. They're, they're they're, They're suffering persecution, and they're just suffering in general, as most religious minorities do. They're suffering. And what he is trying to do with the, the outset of his letter is he's trying to help them to make sense. He's trying to help them to make sense and give them an understanding about what is happening to them. You know, you've become a Christian, you've embraced Jesus, you've been promised salvation, and all of a sudden life gets really hard and life gets really difficult. What's up with that? Well, Peter's, Peter's explanation to them is that, is that actually what's happening is that God is using these circumstances like a refiner's fire to actually produce character in you, to produce godliness in you. And, and in fact, this character reformation, this character transformation to be more like Jesus is actually part of your salvation. This is part of your salvation that you're receiving even now. And so he, and he talks about how the fact that this Salvation that they're receiving, this salvation that they are also going to receive at the last time. He's reminding them about how glorious this salvation actually is. And last time we talked about the fact that sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes, you know, because we've had Jesus for so long, we've, you know, we've grown up with the, uh, the church, we've grown up with Jesus, that sometimes we can become a little bit, it can, be, it can seem a little bit dull. Or not that special, or or pretty run of the mill. But we talked about last time how the reality is, is that for God's people, for many, 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 many hundreds and thousands of years, we're looking 
forward to this moment when the Messiah would be revealed. And even angelic beings long to look into and catch a glimpse of, catch a glimpse of this salvation that we are now receiving. That's how glorious it is. That's how magnificent it is. That's how important it is. And so we should also treat our salvation as such. Even though it's sometimes difficult, sometimes it's challenging, it involves suffering at times, we should value and treasure this salvation because even angels long to look into it. So that's a quick recap of where we're up to. Now Peter, what what Peter's going to get into now is, is, okay, so if this salvation is so glorious, if now you have this understanding, this revelation, how then should we live? And so he he says in, in verse 13, he says, Therefore with your minds... Ready for action, be sober-minded, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, <clears throat> is, is you, when, whenever, I don't know if you do this, when I, when, when, when I read the scriptures, sometimes like I have like a voice in my head. Like, it's like there's a certain person who is in your life or something like that, and just like you can't help but hear them, hear them speaking in this tone. You know, like is in <clears throat> so so like when I'm reading Peter here, it feels like he's he's like a like a like an army general or something like that. He's like, all right, guys, here's the reality. Here's what your salvation is. Here's what's happening. All right. So I want you to you I want your minds to be ready for action. I want you to be sober minded as we embrace this. Or 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 the person the person who comes to mind for me is my grandfather, who when I was little, you know, when he'd tell me the hard truths of life, <laughs> he would he's like, yo yo, I don't know. You know, Patrick, you can't have second dessert. It's not good for you. Patrick, and he would, he would always do this. He'd hold his hand out and he'd, he'd bang it with his fist. These are the facts of life. <clears throat> and it feels like Peter's doing that for the Christians, <laughs> doing, doing it for these Christians. He says, because of this salvation, because of this reality you're living out of now, he says, your minds need to be ready for action. Your minds need to be ready for action. What does that mean? Well, in the Greek, it literally means to gird up the loins of your mind. And, of course, that makes it so much clearer for everybody else in this room, right? Who's had a good loin girding recently? That's why they translate it differently. And it may even be different in different translations of your Bible than what's actually here in the CSB. Essentially, the idea is... Back in the day, when they, when they have robes and and essentially you know dressing gowns or whatever it is they you you would call it, um, <clears throat> it was nice to kind of walk around in. But if you needed to spring into action, if you needed to run, if you needed to do exert yourself or anything like that, it became cumbersome and it became bothersome and it got in the way. And so if you knew you were about to have to jump into action, whether you were going to go into battle or something like that, you would actually take up the hem of your robe and you would actually then tuck it into your belt. And that was called the girding up of your loins. And essentially what it is, is preparing yourself for action. So what Peter says, is says, therefore, on account of this revelation of, of this salvation, you gird up the loins of your mind, prepare your mind for action. You're going to have to think through some things. You're going to have to be prepared to act on some things. He then follows it up when he says, be sober-minded. Which means we need to think rightly about the reality of our situation. You see, it's very easy to become intoxicated with the world. Very easy to become intoxicated with the world. We, we need to be sober-minded in, in, because <clears throat> sometimes... Sometimes, and sometimes, 
of course, nobody here does, but other people do, other Christians, they suffer from the delusion, they suffer from a delusion that they can have both, that they can live according to the pleasures of this world, and they can live out of the kingdom. And Peter's saying is, don't be drunk. Don't be deluded in your understanding. Be sober-minded. Let your thinking be clear. See things as they really are. See the world the way that it really is and understand with clarity what you are experiencing in the world, that you don't belong to this world anymore. You have been born again into a new family, a heavenly family whose culture and ideology are often at odds with the ways of this world. So that's why the theme, you know, we talked about like the theme of First Peter is God's family in exile. And we talked about how, you know, we live according to a culture in a land that doesn't imbibe that culture. They don't understand why we live the way we do. And that's okay. That's perfectly okay. That's something maybe Christians need to learn to embrace more, is that being understood, is, being misunderstood is part of being a Christian. And then he says this, he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. And so he says, so he talks about getting your minds ready for action. He talks about that our thinking needs to be sober and it needs to be clear. And he says where we need to actually set our hope on, which is at the revelation of Jesus, the grace that is going to be brought to us. Now, why is he doing that? Why is he telling us that we need to set our hope there? <clears throat> well, because remember the people who he's writing to. Remember the people who he's writing to. These are first century Christians. Many of them probably illiterate. Many of them probably poor. Many of them probably not of great standing in the world. And so, in all likelihood, as bottom-rung members of society, life is incredibly hard. They don't have a hope or an expectation to be able to climb the socioeconomic ladder. They probably don't have the hope or expectation that they're going to get that promotion and feel like they're going to be fulfilled. All these things that sometimes we can get mixed up in as being, if I could just have that job, or if I could just buy that house, or if I could just have this, or if I could just accomplish this in this world, then I would be happy. Peter, Peter is saying, no, where your hope needs to be set is there, at the grace that is going to be revealed at the coming of the, uh, at the, coming of the Lord, at that end time, that salvation that is going to be received then. <clears throat> Because our ultimate hope lies in the coming of Jesus and not in the things of this world. And so with that preface, with that preface in mind, Peter wants the family of God who are living in exile to embrace three realities for the way that they live their lives. Now there's a lot in this passage that we could get into, we could break down and get into the nitty gritty. But I feel like there's, there's three realities that Peter uses to help his readers understand how it is they should live, how it is they should act on account of this salvation that they're receiving. Because salvation is not just a belief system. There's a, a whole life that comes with that salvation. There's a whole life that comes with following Jesus. And that life is very much shaped by what we believe that salvation is, who we believe God is. It's shaped by our theology, but it is a life that must be lived. And so there's three realities 
um, from this passage that I think uh, Peter is using to help shape their understanding. The first reality is that of holy living. The second will be of the final judgment. And the third will be the eternal glory of the gospel. So we're going to start with the first one. Holy living. Embrace being set apart from this world. So what he says, starting at verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now, in in the most simplest terms, um, holiness is to be set apart. Holiness is to be set apart. Now, why are we called to be holy? Well, he says we're called to be ho- called. We are called to be holy because our God is holy. Now, how does this make sense? How does this make sense? Why does this apply to us? Well, because he uses this language. He says because you're obedient children. Remember how at the very start he says we've actually received this new birth. Peter, throughout his letter, is going to use this language of family. You see, we have received a new birth into a new family. And because we've received this new birth into a new family, our DNA, our spiritual DNA, is shaped by the one who's given us birth. And so just as God is holy, he is set apart from the things of the flesh, he is set apart from sin, he is set apart from death, we too need to live in accordance with those ways. We need to, in our minds, be prepared to be also set apart from the things of, these world, of, of this world. Set apart from the ways of this world. Set apart from the, the things that people are enamored by in this world. And so this holy living is characterized by no longer being conformed to your former desires. You see, there's a way that we like to live. There's things that we as human beings like to go after. It's our natural predilection. It's our natural tendency. We tend to go after wealth. We tend to go after fame. We tend to go after prominence, power, a whole host of things. In fact, in fact, um, I'll, I'll give you a quick snapshot of, of, of some of these things that, that Peter may be having in his mind when he's writing here. Um, I'm going I'm to lift them from Galatians chapter 5 when Paul writes about the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm I am warning you about these things as I, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a, a, pretty, a pretty heavy list of stuff. But as well, I, I, it could also be as simple as what Jesus says in the parable of the sower. Um, so from Mark chapter 3, he says, Others are like seed sown amongst the thorns. He's talking about the seed of the kingdom that's being scattered, the word that's being scattered. He says, Others are like seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke out and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And so when he's talking about being holy, he's talking about being set apart from this world. Now, I don't believe what he's saying is that you can't have anything to do with this world. You know, if non-Christians eat food and we're to be holy... Does that mean you don't eat food because we don't live according to their ways? Well, I don't think, I don't think that that's at all a, a logical um, jump for us to make. But in talking about the moral character, 
The desires of the things that we go after must be different. They must be aligned with what God's desires are, with what his passions are, with what he wants for us. And this holy living, this holy living as well, the impetus for holy living isn't, it shouldn't come from a sense of religiosity. I think it's really important for us to pick up in our minds. It shouldn't come from a sense of religiosity. There's lots of people who will come up with a lot of rules for how you should live your life that will look holy, that will look good, but won't be holy or godly at all. Our impetus for godly living, our impetus for holy living, actually stems from the fact that we are children of our Heavenly Father. It comes out of that relationship with our Father. That's our impetus for holy living, because we've received this new birth. And so having received this new birth, having understood that we are uh, having, uh, yeah, received this new birth, have, living according to this understanding, we need to be sober-minded about how we live and how we act in the world. And so he wants them to understand, you're part of God's family now. You need to be like him. So you need to embrace the idea that you are going to be set apart from this world. Don't let that be a discouragement for you anymore when you're excluded from society. Don't let that be an, a discouragement for you anymore when they mock you and they slander you for not participating in the things that they participate in. Be holy because the God who has given you life, the God who has given you new birth, is holy. The second second, um, reality that Peter draws on to help his readers um, shape their thinking is the reality of the final judgment. You see, he goes on to say... In in verse 17, he says, If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. Remember, Peter's writing to people who are struggling with life. They are struggling, perhaps, to pay their bills. They're struggling, perhaps to feel any sort of acceptance in society. They're struggling in a whole manner of ways, suffering maybe perhaps outright persecution because of their faith. Now, when you're in those difficult situations, when you're in those challenging times, it's it's easy to be a Christian when things are good. It's easy to be a Christian when when there's, you know, there's a steady flow of income coming into your bank account. When, when all the bills are covered, when life is good, there's no strife, there's no persecution, everything's rosy at work, everything, everything's perfect. And fair. It's easy to be a Christian when all the ducks are in a row and everything is good. But when things are bad, when trials come, when suffering and persecution come, what this tends to do is brings out the real essence of our character and where we're really at. We're willing to love people to a point until that point just becomes too much and all of a sudden we're willing to stop loving them because it's just too much. It, 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 Peter's writing to people, writing to people who are suffering. We should have empathy and sympathy for the situation that they're in. And Peter wants to remind them Peter wants to remind them that 
even though you're suffering, understand that you will stand before God and you will give an account for the life that you have lived. You will give an account for the works that you did while you were here on the earth. So he says, live in reverence in light of that fact. That one day, that one day, the judge of all the earth is going to do right. That one day, that one day, you will be held accountable for the, either what you did do or what you didn't do that was right or wrong. It's really important for us to remember that just because we're Christians doesn't mean that God just lets us off the hook. He saves us, and He is saving us. And we will not be, we will not be thrown into eternal destruction. But let me, let me read this from, from, um, from Paul, what he writes here in Corinthians. When he talks about those who are working in the church and building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and, and he says, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I don't think Peter's using this as a stick against his audience. I don't think he's, he's saying, you know, you better act right, because remember, God's going to still judge you because of it. He, God's still going to judge you. Now, he is going to judge but he's doing it as an encouragement to them. Remember when it's hard. Remember when it's difficult. Remember when it doesn't seem worth it. Remember when you're looking, when you're looking out at the world and things seem to be going well for them, things seem to be happening for them, even though they're living corrupt lives, even though they're doing the wrong thing, seem, things seem to work out and they don't work out for you. <clears throat> Remember, one day all will stand and give an account before the Lord. Every single one of us will stand before God and give an account for our lives. That's a sobering reality. That's a sobering reality for, for us to sit with. That there could be things in our lives now that are just wood, hay, and stubble. Things that are satisfying to us here and now, but ultimately are not able to inherit the kingdom that is to come. And so for these Christians, they're probably living in that tension. Living in that tension of wanting to live for God, but also wanting comfort. Also wanting ease. Also wanting to, and the desire to live at peace. And wondering why the world can get away with it. The world can get away with living like that. Living in sin. Living in debauchery. Living in ungodly ways. But they can't. Peter wants to remind them. One day, all of us are going to give an account. And only what is built, uh, only what is of, of eternal matter will stand. And the third reality that Peter is shaping 
He's giving his readers to help shape their understanding and to help them to live godly lives while they are living as exiles in the world is of the eternal glory of the gospel, that all other things will pass away and be destroyed. <clears throat> he says, he says, um, he says from verse 18, he says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, that, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, that, but was revealed in these last times for you. Though you believe in, uh, through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, and this is important, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And he says, for all flesh is like grass, in all its glory, like a flower of the grass, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. <clears throat> it says, because of this new life you've received, this life is not like your former life. This life that you've received in Jesus is not like the old ways. The life that you've received in Jesus is an eternal life. That what you do in Christ and according to his ways, these are the things that will last and stand the test. You see, he says here in verse 12, he says, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, what does this obedience look like? Um, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, Love one another constantly. <clears throat> Peter wants to make clear to his audience that there are certain things that are going to pass away. And there are certain things that will last for all eternity. The gospel, the glorious gospel, the revelation of Jesus, the very revelation of God and his character and who he is, and the salvation that he's given us, the new birth, the new life that he's given us in him. This lasts forever. And the reason why this is important for them to understand, the reason why it's important for us to understand, is because it gives us perspective. It gives us perspective about what is actually really important. About what is really important. He quotes, he quotes here, the ultimate, he says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. Now, flowers are beautiful. Flowers are beautiful. I have flowers in my house all the time because I have a wife who loves flowers. But here's the thing about flowers. They die. So quickly. But there is a beauty to it. There is a, a pleasure to them. That's the reality of, of this world. There are things in this world that are pleasurable. There are things in this world that look good for a time. But the pursuit of those things, the pursuit of the money, the pursuit of the wealth, the pursuit of the fame, the whatever it is that you're pursuing that isn't God, 
all of that will fail at some point. All of that will wilt. All of that will eventually be destroyed. Yeah, as I was preparing this, I was reminding, uh, I remembered um, watching this interview with Jim Carrey. Yeah. And, um, and he was talking to this interview, and now Jim Carrey, is, he's, he's a bit of an oddball, but sometimes he speaks really profound truth. And when he says the, he says the interview, he's like, you know, I wish everybody could just get rich and famous to realize that it doesn't make you happy. There's so many things that look beautiful, that we go after. They look good. They look like they're going to fulfill us. They look like they're going to be meaningful. But they're like the flower. Its beauty is there for a moment, but it will fail. It will die. It will wilt. It will be destroyed. He says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. <clears throat> that in Jesus Christ, there is salvation. That now he is now the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he invites you to be a part of his kingdom, to live according to his ways, to receive the forgiveness of your sins because of what he has done at the cross. To have your life shaped and molded by him, to be free from sin, and to conquer death. These are the things that will last forever. And so, in closing, rather than having some application, I have some reflections that I'd like you to go and reflect on. To think about and let the Holy Spirit raise issues in your own heart. To raise issues in your own life. Firstly, the first question I have for us is this. Though our world is different to the world of the first century where Peter's writing, in what ways might they be the same? In Australia, we're not suffering outright persecution. We get mean tweets. People might send us awful things on Facebook. But as it stands, nobody's coming to your house and clubbing you to death. Let's just take a moment to just remember how good we have it here in Australia. But with those realities, with those, with those, the framework that, that Peter is building out for, for his, his readers, how is it similar? How are, how are we suffer from the similar, similar things today? How is our world similar to back then? What sort of desires do we have that are the same as back then? The second reflection I would have for you is the question, are we living sober-mindedly regarding the things of this world? Are we living sober-mindedly about the things of this world? Now, you need food to eat. You need money to pay bills. It's just the way it works here in this kingdom. That's the way things work here. You need those things. But has the need for those things, for the function of life, overtaken your life so that it has become an unhealthy pursuit, an unhealthy fantasy, an unhealthy obsession, are there, areas, are there areas of your life where you're not thinking sober-mindedly about the things of this world? I, I would encourage you, go ask the Holy Spirit. See if he highlights things to you. Maybe he's been trying to speak to you 
about these things for a long time. And it's going to be in that moment when you finally sit down and are willing to listen that you're going to hear his voice. And then finally, I'd love for you to go and reflect. I'd love for you to go and reflect and ask yourself the question, do I really believe his ways are eternal and will last forever? Am I willing to stake myself on that claim? Am I willing to put my hope and trust solely in the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation? Not in anything I've done to earn my salvation. Am I willing to stake my everything on Jesus and his work alone? I'd like to invite the the music team back. love for us to just stand. We're going to pray. Father, I pray and I ask that you would help us to live as sons and daughters. Help us to live out of that place of relationship with you. I ask that 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 intimacy, that closeness with you, Father, would produce holiness in our lives. That we would embrace the reality of being set apart. That we would be living in such a way that we're prepared to stand before you on that day. And Lord, help us to fix our hope eternally on Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray you be decluttering our minds, decluttering our hearts. Moving things out to make more space for you. be offered up as living sacrifices. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've accepted us, that you've forgiven us, you've washed us clean. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. I just pray you bless us, your people, with a greater revelation of who you are.